The following show will contain spoilers, but trust us, you'll want to hear about it anyway. Please be advised that this episode contains discussions about difficult subject matter. You little turds are going to have to learn you can't run from the ice cream man! Welcome to Subversive Cinema. These films risk causing harm! They should be banned! I'd like to do any of these two guys at the same time. What? Hell yeah! I don't owe you any book. No more books! Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, Art, here to be your wrangler of the weird, purveyor of the peculiar, and Sherpa to the strange. And today, we are going to touch on quite possibly one of the most controversial films of all time. And if it doesn't encapsulate subversive cinema, I frankly don't know what does. We're talking about 1975's Solo or the 120 Days of Sodom. And to talk about this fun little romp in the Italian countryside, it's returning guest and friend, Joe. How are you, Joe? I am good, Art. I am so glad that I watched this movie uh, today. I believe you did as well. So, uh, you know, it's freshly etched here in our memory. Uh, It should make for a very interesting episode. You've heard of this movie before then, yeah? Yes, I have. And you had not seen it? I had not. So are you genuinely glad I made you watch it? You know, it's, um, this is going to sound strange, but uh, it, it's, <laughs> it wasn't a bad movie. It was, uh, you know, and I don't know if that kind of goes against the whole subversive thing or not. No, not at all. There's plenty of good movies that we talk about. Yeah, it, it's like, you know, you know, I, I wouldn't rank this up there with The Godfather or anything like that, but it was something that uh, with with the shit eating scenes aside that I'm sure we'll discuss shortly, that it, it wasn't anything that I was actively tuning out from. I, I was actually kind of curious, you know what I mean? And, and it was uh, it was it wasn't uh, it's not like I was stroking it to this film but it was oh. it was <laughs> i i'm happy to say that but it was uh it, it it strangely captivated me does that make sense no it absolutely does because we'll get into this but i feel that it's 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 more of a testament to how the the film is shot and how the story's told because it's done very clinically and mm. you can't help but to feel like some sort of voyeur uh watching something you shouldn't be seeing and it's repulsive, but at the same time engrossing. It's very strange. It really, yeah. it does a whole thing on you. So before we get too far down the well, let's uh, circle back on the whole deal here. We're here to talk about the strange entries into the history of cinema. And we look at how subversive they are, what makes up their subversive sauce by looking at character story and the what the fuck factor. <laughs> I think we know what this is going to have. And... <laughs> And we break it down by looking at each of those things, and then we'll come up with a uh, you know totally arbitrary score uh, just to make ourselves feel happy. So, a little bit about this movie. Yes, 1975 Salo. It was directed and written by Pier Paolo Pasolini, and it is pretty loosely based on the Marquis de Sade's book that was technically incomplete, but fashioned together with his notes later on, which was also called 120 Days of Sodom, or The School of Libertinage. 
yeah, so written in 1785 and then finally published long after in 1904. And this movie, uh, much like the book, was met with quite a lot of fervor. And I think it was out in certain areas for all of five minutes before it was banned and canceled. So it's had a very sordid history because of the subject matter, uh, as the warning in the beginning said. We're going to talk about some of that. Because a lot of this is supposed to take place with people who are representing younger people. Uh, the, the kids that they steal from the countryside for these four aristocrats, these libertines that they kidnap for their own perverse needs, they're all supposed to be teenagers. So they're all under 18, effectively minors, and that's what the big thing about this movie is, is that you're watching these terrible abuses happen to young people. So the story is, it's nearing the end of World War II in Italy, near a small town called Salo, which was effectively Mussolini's capital at the time, and four fascist libertines round up nine adolescent boys and girls, and they subject them to 120 days of physical, mental, and sexual torture because they can. And mm. that's pretty much it. And it, it's told in four sections, four chapters or rings of hell, if you will, if you were to compare like the Dante's Inferno sort of thing where you have the anti-inferno, which is, I guess, before hell, circle of manias, the circle of shit, and the circle of blood. We all felt the same way when we saw circle of shit show up on the screen, didn't we? Well, and I believe that that was the same way with the with Assad's work as well, I, except I believe his book was separated into four sections like falls, you know, fall, winter. Spring. Yeah, it was different months. So it was each yeah. month. So it was like November. Here I'm looking at it's like November, the simple passions, December, the complex passions, January, okay, the criminal you, passions, you. February, the gotcha. murderous passions. Yeah. So these youths are subjected to an ever escalating series of depraved and perverse abuses as the movie goes on. So, look, you don't get a good cuddly feeling that things are going to work out in the beginning or anything like that. You know, in the very beginning, they round them up and they immediately tell them the rules, which are effectively every night we're going to come to this hall. We're going to hang out, listen to stories. And if we feel like screwing around or getting engaging in anything, we can and you can't fight it. And if you do, you're going to die. And those are the only rules. That's pretty much it. So the movie takes us through that and we get to watch all sorts of fun stuff. And as Joe already said some shit eating. So let's get into talking about this movie. So, you know, it's a little story about sadism, abuse, eating poop, and 120 days in the Italian countryside. <laughs> and uh, here we are. So characters, let's talk about the characters. There were a wealth of characters in this film. Uh, most of them, unfortunately, they weren't really given names. And if they were, I don't know about you, but watching it in an Italian with subtitles, half the time I didn't know who the fuck was talking or what was going on. <laughs> so... <laughs> so I did learn that the four main characters were uh, were the Duke, the president, uh, the magistrate, and then yep. the religious guy. I don't remember what the bishop or something. It. It's maybe something like that. Um, I had already told Art ahead of this episode that one of the things that I wanted to do was kind of recast this film with like actors from today and whatnot. <laughs> and so the Duke literally to me looks like Gerard Butler. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which which is really interesting because he takes a, a shit on the floor, and makes and makes a woman eat it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that happened. That's for sure. And uh, the my my favorite character in the film, I, I don't know why the guy just cracked me up, was the president, who is obsessed. The, the cross-eyed guy. 
the, the cross-eyed guy. Yeah, because was... everything he did was just so... <laughs> He's just such a fucking doofy creep. I mean, he did terrible things, but it's hard. It's like, he just looks so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't mean to laugh, but like you said, he was cross-eyed. He always had that dumb grin on his face. And like, yeah. there was... Like one of the first scenes where he's like mooning everybody in like the restaurant in in like the um oh in the dining know. hall area yeah 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 the dining hall and then you know he comes over to a girl who's being yeah I hate to say it, but anally penetrated against her will yeah she's and being she's says, being raped oh. on the floor by one of the guards and then he and... says oh it's my turn and yeah. I thought he was meant that he was gonna take advantage of her but no he meant for the guy to start raping him i thought so too and then i saw him bend down and pull his pants down and i thought oh boy okay and then there's a close-up of him with the same grin the same cross eye but like no reaction whatsoever to getting yeah. fucked in the ass and it was just <laughs> it, 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 there there was so much just i'm mean, obviously because look it's based off marquis de Sade, it's it's vicious shit, but it's just so much fucking, and it doesn't matter. It's like anything, anything, and everything's on the table. You can fuck any person at any time, and it didn't matter, <laughs> you know. Except, except the help. Except, of course, except the help because one of the guards. So the the situation with these four aristocrats, I I keep saying that, but they're really the libertines. It's these rich libertines: the duke, the bishop, the president, and the magistrate. And they get these four people to be guards who they have two types of guards i believe here they have the studs which are just they they get them because they have huge dicks and so they get them to be guards because of their wangs and then they also get four other random teenagers to uh, be collaborators to help them along the way and it's one of those collaborators who ends up banging the help and they end up going and killing him because you're not supposed to do that. And her. And her. And her as well. So, man, this movie was, uh, it's one of those where I've heard a bit, I've heard of it. I'd heard about this movie for a very long time. And I had it sitting here at home. And I never just got around to watch it. And, and wow. You know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, you don't really forget it quite quickly. I mean, there's. Well, we'll get to all the WTF stuff, but yeah, there's there's all the characters are interesting for a different reason. See, the 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 bishop, he's the guy with the really bad teeth and like mm -hmm. lots of gaps in his teeth. Mm -hmm. If he was still alive, home over and such, yeah, I could see Dean Stockwell for him. I I was going to say with the president, uh -huh. uh, you know, since we were just talking about him, Dana Carvey, <laughs> who Dana Carvey, <laughs> Dana Carvey, I would, <laughs> that'd be a good one. But um, if he was a little bit younger, because he's probably too old now but in fact i hope he's still alive the guy from princess bride inconceivable <laughs> oh i love this yeah <laughs> uh wallace sean yeah there we go <laughs> he is alive but my god he has gotten so old <laughs> so i uh i i really was honestly i was quite captivated by the storytellers uh so the storytellers they are if the I, don't, prostitutes. I don't know yeah i don't know if i mentioned it. they're prostitutes that they brought in and these prostitutes tell stories of their lives to the group and it usually involves various acts of depravity that they endured as you know prostitutes in their in their careers and they're there for inspiration. So anytime, though, they would tell these stories, more often than not, they were these monologues, and they were done in a very 
performance art sort of way where some of them would be dancing around the room and it was it was very interesting in its presentational manner and i found myself just captured by when they're telling these stories like senora vicari the very first one we meet she starts off by telling some really really fucked up stories about being abused as a child like seven years old but the way she delivers her monologues you just can't stop looking at her same thing with senora maggi who is the one who ushers in the entire circle of shit and so again it's it, you you know it's coming when you see the title card circle of shit and then you start hearing her talk about how you know she had the shit on somebody or somebody shat on her i don't remember there's so much shit in this movie <laughs> you know what's coming so i guess we'll we'll go ahead and save the uh, the banquet scene for later we'll talk about that in the wtf but uh but yeah the the prostitutes were characters for me I guess my whole thing is like, what do you think they were actually eating there? Because obviously it wasn't shit, but I mean, but it looked just like shit. Right. No, I read up on this. They actually ate a combination of some sort of chocolate uh, pudding or something with orange marmalade and things. You know, like they were all edible things, but they were apparently contrasting flavors so that when the actors would eat it, it would actually elicit a sort of yick response even though it was fully edible and safe. Gotcha. Any other characters that stood out to you other than our our dear Duke or president and things like that? You know, I was confused by one by one of the characters, and I had a really hard time telling a lot of them apart if they weren't the four leads or the or the um or the storytellers. Um but there was one guy who the Duke seemed to be sweet on, um, who, who always had kind of a dumb expression on his face, you know, a big smile. And, you know, he would, he would make out with the Duke and it didn't look like he was being pressured to. He just right. kind of looked. But was he, the, because I thought that he was with the Duke at the end, like the Duke had saved him. But then a guy who looked like him was getting his eyeball pulled out in that end scene. Yeah, was so that, that I believe that was him getting his eyeball pulled out. Okay, and I think so it's he just, was murdered. He was, yes. There was only okay. a, a select few who didn't get killed, and it was seemingly random. I think. By the way, we forgot to mention how the whole thing kicked off. That these four libertines, part of this whole thing, is jump started by them doing this ritual where they marry each other's daughters. Yes. But then they also got married to guys as well, dressed like and and they dressed like women. They did. There, there was there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but even like they made their daughters walk around nude the entire time. You know, speaking of which, I believe it was the one daughter who yelled out at the end. You know, you know, basically, you know, God, why have you forsaken me? And I was reading an article that basically said that's you know the one kind of Christian allegory or mm -hmm. whatever the word is there in the film because you know christ on the cross and you know you know screaming out you know and then you know the the roman guards laughing on the ground and like they actually pan out from that scene to a, a few of the guards playing cards and laughing and such while she's in a bucket of shit with with the other girls waiting there basically their torture and an execution so, so I thought that that was kind of interesting there that, uh, what they did. Yep. I agree. I want to, uh, give a shout out to the large prosthetic penises 
that found their way <laughs> on the film. Were they prosthetic? Uh, yes. The uh, the four guards, if you watch, um, you could see at the end. when they feel better. What's that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> in the end, when they're torturing the guy in the in the yard and they're burning the tip of his dick with a candle, you can see they all look pretty fucking latexy, you know? So I have to say kudos to those uh, those prosthetic wangs. Those those are some good prosthetic wangs. Oh, and I did have a question about that, too, about the deaths there in the yard. Like, I did feel really bad for the one... Uh, blonde hair girl who is the one who was forced to eat shit and then it looked like she died because her boob was burned and so i was kind of confused with that so they were they were branding her so okay yeah i i don't think you saw how she ended up being like they slit her throat or something yeah you don't know but you just saw like the part of the torture you know they only avoided the torture of these some of these individuals so yeah yeah it's um this is one of those films where where you can't really share sound bites because it's in a another language and people won't know what the fuck is going on anyway. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, well, here, like, this is what it sounds like to have an eyeball popped out in Italian. Umberto, vieni qui. Umberto. That was the president, by the way. Umberto. Yeah. His jokes were so bad. Oh, God, his jokes were fucking terrible. <laughs> they, they were terrible. Uh, though I have to say that I did laugh at one that just made no sense. It was the whole, um, uh, the difference between eight and two fours or whatever. Four times two or whatever and, and, it was. And family, and it's just like, you know, so he's like, he gives the answer. Yeah. He's like, and How's what about family? the fa- and the family? Oh, they're fine. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so bad. Okay. There's uh there's a lot of crazy shit in that in these characters. So let's just move right on to the story, shall we? So story wise, did it make sense to you? And if not, what do you think was uh was was lacking here? No, it made sense to me. It was uh it it, it was interesting seeing um basically the end of the war there in Italy. I, I presume that's like the last days of Mussolini. So I mean, you know, and um um, and I believe that some of the guards, at least at the beginning of the movie, were wearing like SS uniforms. So it was, yeah, they uh, did have the help of some Nazis in rounding up their initial group of people. Yes. So it's not so it's not surprising that uh, yeah, you know what what happened, but it you know, but um, with the kind of people that you're dealing with. But no, the the film made sense to me. I think they. My understanding is because. I believe the what Marquis de Sade wrote, as you said, was, you know, unfinished. It's very disjointed. I mean, they they made it into a plausible stories, so to speak. It was like I said, I, I was strangely taken by it. I um, it was it was very interesting, I thought. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I. Um, Shoot, shoot, I just lost my train train thought there are please help me here, brother. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing is that uh, I, I'm torn because this movie is um it's hella dark, it's hella fucked up, and but there's 
something about it that's undeniable and I'm having my I'm having trouble putting my finger on it. I think it's because I had just seen it. I haven't really had a lot of time to process it and think about it thoroughly. But I will say that I feel that narratively you know it, you can say that this has a story I feel in the loosest of sense. You know, there you have antagonists. There's no clear hero. So it's not like we're having a hero's journey sort of situation here. You know, this is not a traditional narrative in any sense of, you know, act one, two, and three or whatever. Things just start, they happen, and they get worse, and then the movie literally just ends. It, it was so abrupt when it ended. I was watching, and then it cut to the, to the Finn, and I was like, wait, hold on, what? <laughs> it, we just watched these... We're just watching these two guys, you know, waltzing in a parlor together, and then it's done. <laughs> that was so. So I thank you, Art, because you just reminded me of what I wanted to mention before. I don't know if it's a classic piece or anything else, but I I did like the main music. Like you know, that's something that if you have you you know you could share here during this episode if you choose to. But it was strangely cheery. You tell oh, you talking about the theme in the very beginning. <laughs> And it's also played at the end, I believe. Uh, let's, uh, well, let's take a look, shall we? Oh, yeah. Yep. And I believe, so this, the music in this film was done by Ennio Marconi. Who, of course, is a very famous composer. kind of like it. (laughs) (laughs) With the music done by Ennio Morricone, and I mean, you know, we most recently know him, uh, the the young kids may know him from The Hateful Eight, you know, uh, Tarantino managed to pull him in for that. But I mean, he's done mega movies. I mean, this is the guy who did Once Upon a Time in the West. Oh, shit. Yeah. Is he still alive? Uh, no, he died recently. Uh, okay. He did, uh, the, <laughs> he did The Exorcist 2. Um, <laughs> he did tons and tons and tons of movies. I mean, this guy's... If I'm if you're going to go and look at his IMDb credit as a composer, he's credited with 528 films. Well, while you're looking that up, let me ask you, because we covered everyone but the magistrate, who... Is there a certain actor you could see playing, like, the magistrate? Now, the magistrate, I'm trying to remember what he looks like here. Pencil thin mustache. Ah, the thin mustache guy. That's right. While the Duke is going down on the girl or deflowering her, takes him by. Yes, that's right. You're right. He uh, starts, he makes it into the. (laughs) Uh, You know, that guy, he kind of, I was trying to think, he, you know, he can't remember the name. He's like a fucking TV actor. He's in, he's been in all, like almost every season of American Horror Story. But I, I'm trying to think of I guess someone a little bit more famous, more high. Evan Peters? No, no, not the young guy. The old guy <laughs> who. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> not gonna get it. Uh, I was going to say like like Will Ferrell with a Ron Burgundy mustache. You know. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I would I would want to dust off Daniel Day Lewis, bring him out of retirement, and put him in this role. <laughs> He's got the bowler hat, and then imagine giving him that mustache straight out of "There Will Be Blood." <laughs> this would be fantastic. I think one of the questions is: Will this be remade at some point? 
I, I would think it has to be. I honestly don't know if it could be. That's the well, thing. I mean, perhaps there will be a renaissance in film where people can make some more dangerous choices without going too far down that rabbit hole now. I will say that I feel that there are not a lot of bold decisions being made that are that are necessarily dangerous these days. Mm. The the climate has changed and but you know everything is cyclical. You know, you have some really push the envelope edgy films that come out around this time, you know, early to mid to late 70s and then there was a shift and then the 80s sort of calmed down and went in a slightly different direction. And then, you know, because we're talking about in the 70s, it was the age of exploitation, the age of, you know, move, transitioning to the early 80s, of the cannibal holocaust, the faces of death, and all these things that are meant to shock and provoke. And then mm. you get to the 80s, and you get some more of the campy shit that comes out. And the 90s is, like, upping the camp again. And then we had some dangerous stuff come back in the late 90s, early 2000s. So it's all cyclical. It's just, you know, we just have to wait and see. But this this pushes a lot of fucking buttons for people. I'd be curious to see. Uh, I'd only want to see this movie if it had the cast we said. That's what I'll say. All right. So the story, you know, it it functions. It gets us from from one devious and gross torture and perversion to the next. But let's really get to the meat and potatoes of this movie. The what the fuck factor. So, Joe, (laughs) any particular what the fucks you would like to bring up first? I I mean, honestly, it's almost like turn to a page and you can pick whatever you want. I would have to go with all of like the shitting stuff. I mean, it's it's bad enough with the girl, but then it's uh, you know then I then I guess she doesn't have to feel too bad because then everybody is served shit in the dining hall at the at the wedding, and it's like you know everybody you know so it's not just them being subjected to it. Like I mean, all all the principal cast is eating it as well and enjoying themselves and. It, it it was a little bit of amusing. You know, it was a little bit amusing watching somebody take a bite, and you know, it didn't hit hit for like a second or two, and then they're you know start gagging and shit. <laughs> it, it, I'll tell you, the single most disturbing and evocative image in this movie came at around an hour and thirteen minutes, and it's in the very beginning of the the wedding banquet scene when mm. the woman rolls out the chafing dish. And all you know is like, well, what the fuck's going to be under there? It's not going to be good. And when they open it, you have a close-up of this huge pile of shit. And if you look at it, there's like nuts in it. It's so fucking gross. It's like Jeff Goldblum in uh, Jurassic Park. That's a pile of shit. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And, And, you know, at first you're like, okay, so wait, what's happening? And then they start ladling it out on everybody's plate and people are more than happy to fucking take it and then it takes another gross turn now it's such a small detail because they don't highlight it you have to look for it but they also have these bowls usually for soup and they bring those around and in the background after this guy gets a big old ladle full of shit on his plate one of the guards lifts up the the lid and he ladles out some liquid on there and you realize it's piss He's putting piss. I missed that part. Because it's right in the background. It's such a small thing. But it's like, good Christ. (laughs) The scene. And this was, this was the worst. This is honestly for me, hands down, the worst sequence to watch. 
And then you got the servant girls who are just sitting on the ground in front of the platters of shit while you have the close-up of the president eating his log. But he does do his only kind of funny joke here. He looks at the boy across from him. He looks and he says, hey, do this with your fingers. And he pulls the corners of his mouth open. Oh, that was... (laughs) And then he says... He says to tell, he tells him, say, I can't eat rice with your fingers like this. Kid does it. So then the president says, then eat shit. shit. <laughs> you know, you, there's something poetic in the Italian of it. Sei capace di dire non posso mangiare il riso tenendo le dita così. Non posso mangiare il riso. E allora mangia la merda. There it is. And by the way, it, the other gross part of this was just how much material was smeared on their faces while they're talking and seemingly okay with it so one of the questions so the question i had was why was the who was the one who was checking the chamber pots and and was yelling at the guy and girl who had shit in theirs that was the bishop okay why was why were they upset about them having oh no sorry sorry that was the president the president was doing that got you and why were they upset about them having shit in there my understanding was they don't want anything to be wasted. So they were told you have to eat and drink whatever you expel. Uh, okay. So that's why everybody else except the one girl didn't. And then he gets angry. You know the rule, you know? Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Yeah. Okay. But I, I, um, her excuse for not doing it, she used, at least in the translation that I had, was, please, with the muck we're made to eat. <laughs> you know, she's talking about how bad it tastes. <laughs> Shit, no matter what you do, it's going to be bad. (laughs) What's what's baffling to me is, again, that whole sequence was just such a a, a bear. The whole shit-eating chapter was almost a half hour. That was was the thing that's pretty tough. Now, what about the, um, I don't know, there's really no delicate way to put this, the asshole contest. Oh. (laughs) In the dark room, everybody's on their floor, bent over presenting and they're going anus by anus to determine which one's the prettiest. My question was, wouldn't they be, because they were acting like you wouldn't be able to tell if it was a guy or girl because it was in the dark, but if they're shining a flashlight, won't you see the balls? Well, no, you do. You do. That's what they were. They were trying to say. It's like, well, you know, we're going to tell because you're going to see the balls or you're going to see other genitalia. You're going to see there. They say, well, you just have to try to be impartial. You know, you have to do your best. Um, And, it was, this is, you know, there's there's been talk, you know, people talk about how there are moments of dark comedy in this, just like there were in Marquis de Sade's writing. This is one of those moments for me, because they spend nearly two or three minutes going and looking, and they're talking about people's anuses, as if they're moving around the Modern Art Museum discussing the qualities <laughs> of a Pollock or a Warhol. It, it, it's, it's such a strange, strange sequence. And, of course, we're also treated to uh, a golden shower scene as well. So we forgot to mention that. Oh, yes. I, I did forget about that. That was uh, the girl pissing in the Duke's face, right? Yeah. The Duke uh, brings her into the bathroom, says, go ahead, do your business. She's like, I don't have to. And he's like, well, you better. And so then she starts peeing on him. And uh, <laughs> you've never seen a man quite so happy. <laughs> oh, my God. So it's you feel weird talking about this stuff because it's such a fucked up, dirty, 
awful thing. You know, this movie's just so whack. It's it. I get why it's notorious, but again, you can't stop looking at it because I feel it's shot so clinically. It's shot so well, and the camera is unrelenting. You know, it just holds. And I think because of its age, you know, there's a chance that there's a feeling that everything you see is real, even though there's clearly effects and certain makeup and things like that. So it's not real, but I think because it's film and it's pre CGI and all this other shit, you know, it just, it gives a verisimilitude to it that just really gets under your skin and you can't quite forget about it. Mm -hmm. Any other particular moments stand out for you, sir? (laughs) I mean, I know it's hard to pick, but yeah, it's that and the whole torture scene at the end, obviously that was, you know, that would, you know, those are, you know, the, the, shit eating and the torture those were the those were the biggest ones and it was uh that was the scene that i the two scenes i least enjoyed watching i guess you could say the the, but the rest you know i'm i'm right there with you with the with the storytellers how engrossing they were and i enjoyed the one showing her very (laughs) fine ass until she started talking about or taking a shit out of it you know but it was (laughs) (laughs) yep that'll do it (laughs) one thing that i read that was just incredible it was a critical analysis this is from stephen barber the core of solo is the anus and its narrative plot pivots around the act of sodomy no scene of a sex act has been confirmed in the full until one of the libertines has approached its participants and sodomized the figure committing the act the filmic material of solo is one that compacts celluloid and feces in Pasolini's desire to burst the limits of cinema via the anally resonant eye of the film lens. It's like, it's... <laughs> this movie, it's like asshole the movie, essentially. It's just like, here, it's, we're, we're gonna, you know, do a send-up to buttholes. <sighs> wow, uh, it really takes you out. And, you know, one other sequence that stood out to me is just so strange and how long it went on was the marriage between the the young guy and the girl. And as soon as they come up to the altar, the Duke is just suddenly overcome with emotion, starts going around fondling every single (laughs) fucking person in the room and kissing and licking them. Women, boys, everybody, guards and people are giggling. And it goes on for almost two minutes, two minutes. It was such a weird, weird fucking scene. So okay, let's let's talk about the, the the nuts and bolts of it. So, how subversive do you think this this, this film was? On a scale of one to ten, it's got to be a ten. Yeah, I I feel like it has to be a solid ten. It's <laughs> solid, solid fucking ten. Man, it's after everything we just said. I mean, how could it not be? Yeah, of course. Well, you know, when the starter pistol for the really fucked up stuff is the Duke dropping trow and shitting on the middle of the floor (laughs) and then giving a poor girl a spoon, you know that you're not watching any sort of film that you've ever seen before and rarely will ever see again. So Joe, thank you for putting yourself through this. Of course. It's fun as always to have you. Don't worry. Next time we'll have you on a little bit, something, uh, something a little bit lighter, a little easier, Uh, but we won't spoil that for our, for our listeners just yet, but be watching out for Joe next season. It's going to be a fun movie. Thank you again. Is there anything you'd like to promote, Joe? Perhaps another podcast or anything that you're involved in? Ooh, that would be our 
sister show that was disappointing, which is picking up more and more viewers and uh, is uh, more of a in more of a bite sized format nowadays. It's uh, it's Art and I's passion project, and we uh, and we enjoy it very very much, don't we? That's right. It's so much fun. You should check it out. That was disappointing. You can find it at any of your podcast providers, just like you can find this show. So check it out. Joe, thanks again for coming. It's been a pleasure talking about shit and eating it and buttholes. Um, <laughs> well, those words just came Yum. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so here I am. I'm ready to go off, and I didn't even tell anybody where they could find this film. Uh, so, where can you find Solo? I don't believe this is this is streaming anywhere. It's a bit too too much for most places to stream. But you can find it on Blu-ray, DVD. You can find it on Amazon, anywhere else. I would highly recommend, though, getting your hands on the Criterion Collection version of it. Get the Blu-ray. It's going to look great. It's going to sound great. Uh, as good as shit-eating and abusing poor humans can look. But uh, remember, it's just a movie. It's not real. So... Yeah, go check it out. And then, you know what? Go ahead, drop me an email. Let me know what you think of the movie. And if you agree or disagree with what we said today, it's subversivecinemashow at gmail.com. So that's what we got. Check it out and check us out. And we will see you next time. Until then, stay subversive. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you leave us a review and a five-star rating at your preferred podcast provider. Tell a friend so they can check it out, too. And follow us on Instagram at subversive underscore cinema for more content. Subversive cinema.